Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome once again to Daily Daf Differently. This is Jeremy Kalmanowski and today we're studying page Kufnun Gimel, page 153. We're really nearing the end of the tractate. We're going to today conclude chapter 23 and begin the final chapter, chapter 24. Uh, at the end of 23, we're still uh, talking, reflecting on death and a uh, good thing for the end of the end of the tractate. And we say, first of all, that uh, you can tell whether a person will be worthy of the olam haba, the world to come, based on the eulogy. If people cry and weep, then you know that they had an impact in life. And if people don't cry and weep at somebody's passing, then it's a kind of a sad and tragic uh, sign that they didn't have such an impact on life, and maybe they're not b'nei olam haba. You know, as a synagogue rabbi, as a community rabbi, uh, there are all kinds of reasons why funerals aren't sad. Nowadays, in, in the 21st century, people can, can live past 100 years old. This, just, just a couple of uh, months ago, I lost my grandmother at 101. It was a long life, well-lived, and it wasn't tragic that she died. But I also have seen many people who, you know, we have sad funerals in which people didn't necessarily touch other lives, and that can be a real heartbreaker, and that is the meaning of the teaching that Rob gives here on our page, that uh, when you touch a life, when you pass away, it brings a lot of tears, and it's, it's not a lot of tears. Maybe you didn't touch a life. So it's a, it's a sad teaching. This, this uh, passage also tells us, uh, in, in uh, quoting Tractate Avot, the Pirkei Avot, that you should, says Rabbi Eliezer, repent one day before you die. The students say, well, how do you know when you're going to die? And Rabbi Eliezer says, aha, that's the point. You never know. So you always have to be prepared for your own death. You have to spiritually prepare for the end of your life. Plato said that to study philosophy was to learn how to die. And the rabbis have something of the same insight, to know what your life means, such that when it comes to an end, you have appropriately concluded it. In the beginning of chapter 24, uh, we're, there's, a, there's a kind of a poetic connection about somebody traveling on the road as Shabbat is impending and the night falls. I, I actually don't really think they're talking about death, but it is a, it is a stark, you know, striking literary uh, connection that you talk about the sun setting as you're traveling. Uh, and what do you do if you're traveling on the road? You, it's not like modern times where you know what time the train is supposed to arrive. Um, you got money in your pocket and you don't know what to do. It says if you're traveling with a non-Jew, you can, despite, typically you can't ask non-Jews to work for you on Shabbat. Um, in this particular case, you can ask your non-Jewish traveling companion to carry your money for you because non-Jews are not required to uh, observe Shabbat. This is a, this is a, a kind of incipient rabbinic pluralism here. Non-Jews don't have to observe Shabbat. So in this case, if you, if you pass the money to the non-Jew, that would be a fine thing. And if, and if, there, if you're not traveling with a non-Jew, you can put it on an animal. You can, you can lay your money upon the donkey. And if you're traveling with a Jew who is, for whatever reason, uh, impaired vis-a-vis the mitzvot, vis-a-vis the, the responsibilities for the commandments, either by dint of a mental impairment 
the person is is insane, or as as the rabbis think, uh, a deaf person, as, as all pre-modern people thought, deaf people uh, were a, was a kind of a mental impairment. We we of course today know that it's not a mental impairment, it's not a cognitive impairment, it's just a an auditory one. But until really the 19th century, uh, people didn't know how to to communicate with uh, with deaf people. Perhaps you can give the money to one of them or to a child or something like that. But why is it that they have this lenience? Well, because it says here in the uh, in the page, "Ein adam ma'amid atzmo al hamamon." People don't restrain themselves when their property is in danger. That's uh, one of the basic rights that we have in liberal society: is property rights. And somebody's not just going to throw their money away because travel took a little bit uh, longer than they expected on on the eve of Shabbat, and so they can uh, pass their money to to an Anjou or put it on the animal in ways which would ordinarily, if not for this. Uh, exigent circumstance, not be okay. Now, that law was promulgated, if you remember way back, those of you who've been with us for the beginning of the tractate, way back to page 17, uh, 130 pages ago or so, 135 pages ago, uh, we talked about the 18 times that Beit Shammai, usually the minority, outvoted Beit Hillel, usually the majority, and one of them was uh, the time that Beit Shammai said, you can, in this exigent circumstance, give your money to the non-Jew to carry for you when Shabbat begins. Now, that sounds like a lenience, right? Well, it's actually not. It's not a lenience. It's actually a restrictive ruling, because embedded in that is a prohibition that what they did before Beit Shammai promulgated this new ruling was that they used to say to somebody, carry your money four paces, four amot, four cubits, but let's just say four paces, and put it down, and then pick it up again, and then put it down again, and then pick it up again, and then put it down again, an arduous process, but it meant that you did not ever carry the forbidden item more than four paces in the public domain. And that was seen to be the, the original good ruling, and then they, Beit Shammai said, no, 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 it's not a good idea, let's instead uh, pass pass the, the, the wallet off to somebody else who, who is more permitted to carry. Now, fascinating, we have a debate, or a small remnant of a debate, between two of the early um, Mishnaic-era rabbis, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Joshua, who have different views about this decree. Rabbi Eliezer thinks it's a great idea. Rabbi Joshua thinks not so much. Because Rabbi Eliezer, who is associated with the Shammites, says on that day, that day that Beit Shammai promulgated all of these rulings, including this one, uh, what did they do? They, they, gadshu uh, se'a, they made the, the measure full. And he metaphorizes what they did, uh, what, what the rabbis did in, in making their rulings. He metaphorizes it as if you had a, uh, a barrel full of pumpkins, you could still make other rulings that were like uh, small uh, mustard seeds, and you could pour them into that barrel, and the barrel would in fact be more full than it was before. In other words, there was a kind of a gap in Jewish practice, and the rabbis filled it in. They filled it in and strengthened it. Rabbi Joshua said, no, that's not what happened at all. Machaku, machaku they in fact obliterated, they erased the edges of the boundary. Instead, what they had was a barrel full of honey, 
and they tried to dump pomegranates into the barrel, and they just spilled the honey all over the floor. They, they wasted it. A different version of that teaching has a, a different metaphor, the same, same idea, but different items. You had a barrel full of walnuts, and you poured sesame seeds in, or you had a barrel full of oil, and you just dumped more oil in, and I've got oil all over the floor. Um, what is really interesting to me about this is it's an approach, it's a divergent approach to the question of chumrah, religious stringency. We live in an age in which people are very anxious, mostly right-wing religious people, very, very traditionalist people, are mostly very anxious about people's Jewish observance. And so they make it as strict, as strict, as strict, as strict as possible. Their view, like Rabbi Eliezer's view, is there's some empty space in the barrel, let's tighten it up, and that will make people uh, behave more intensely Jewishly. I'm going to vote with Rabbi Yehoshua on this, that not the traffic doesn't always bear additional chumrah. The traffic doesn't always bear additional stringency, stringency, stringency. There are decrees that the people cannot bear. And sometimes it is like a waste. It is like uh, dumping more honey or more oil into a barrel that is already full, and all you get is a mess on the floor, and you waste something precious. Any way you slice it, uh, those of us who are interested in, in advocating for greater uh, and more intense Jewish observance have to balance this. You, you want to encourage uh, all of the intensity that the traffic will allow. But sometimes you have to re uh, reckon with the possibility that you're, in fact, just making a mess. So please do think about that metaphor, about Humrah and Kula. Think about that metaphor of whether or not you are pouring mustard seeds or sesame seeds into a barrel and you're filling up the empty space, or whether you are uh, uh, filling the barrel, which is already all the way full, and all you do is pouring the precious honey or the precious oil on the floor. Thanks for learning with me today, and I look forward to speaking with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.